Well, good morning, Heritage. We've been talking about uh, the message of the cross and as that relates to unity in the church at Corinth. And uh, I was reading this week in, in preparation for, for some of that looking back into Paul's beginning ministry in Athens. And um, in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, this is what we read. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. We have that same message. That's the message of the cross. The good news of Jesus and the resurrection. Over in verse 32, when the crowd, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, and we will get that response. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. And the response to the gospel isn't always what we think it should be. But folks, the message of the cross is the power of the gospel, the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And we're going to talk about that from the perspective of those who share the gospel this morning, the message of the cross. And I trust that that will be an encouragement to you as we think through, as we focus our attention on God this morning and remember the ministry of the gospel that he's given to us. Well, happy Valentine's Day. Oh, all right. <laughs> wow, that was like zero, zero interest, right? I, I hope... I hope that's not the case. Uh, that's not why we're here, but, you know, it is Valentine's Day. It doesn't usually come on a Sunday, so uh, here we are at any rate. Well, it's good to have you here. Listen, I, I, I uh, want you to continue to pray for uh, the Rinaldis, Lynn, and Joseph, and um, as they continue to mourn the loss of uh, Joe and uh, as Scott mentioned, uh, Michael Shaw, that's uh, a little more serious than just another concussion because he just had gotten over that and uh, had some symptoms for quite a lengthy period of time, was seemingly beyond that, and then yesterday one of, in the ball game hit his head again, and so that's the, the struggle with all that, continue to remember him. Terry. It's good to see you here, brother. Glad you're, uh, you're able to be with us, feeling better. And um, there are others that are continuing to recover, some from COVID and, and others with other things, so continue to pray. 
And uh, as you know, the uh, list we keep updated on a regular basis is on our website. And uh, we send out emails three times a week with all that information. And if you're not receiving that, would like to, please call Michelle. She'd be glad to get you on the list. And then even the remind text that we send out for weather-related things, other, I won't say emergency, but high-level concern, interest kinds of things, sometimes emergencies. If you're not getting that, that's probably the quickest way to, uh, to know what's going on. We send those things out. Yes, Asa and Suze. Last night, um, they had to take Asher uh, to the emergency room, had uh, seizures from a high fever. They brought him home, um, but uh, continue to pray for them, and as they, that's a scary thing, and um, boy, a lot going on, a lot to pray for, so please do so. All right, let me pray. Father, Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the message of the cross, the gospel. Thank you for the death and the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we remembered Christ's death on the cross for us, for the payment of our sin, last week we celebrated together the Lord's Supper. And Father, stir our hearts now, God, as we look at your word and for those that can't be with us, Lord, for various reasons, for Michael and for Susan, Asa, and Asher, and, um, thank you for, for Terry's being able to be back. And we continue to pray for uh, Joseph, Joseph and Lynn Rinaldi and, and um, others, Lord. I, I, I know we start down the list. God, I, I pray for your strength and healing. Thanks for our people who've been able to minister to one another through these difficult times. And God, help us now to focus our attention on you this morning, for it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Well, I have a serious concern to bring up with you, my friends. Uh, the authority, and I'm going to do this by the authority of uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, I urge you to live in harmony and to agree with each other. And don't let there be any divisions or quarrels among you. Now that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. And we've talked about that now for a couple of weeks. We were there as we began uh, the first problem, to look at the first problem in the church at Corinth. And uh, as we're studying through that first problem of division, there are any number of problems. We kind of gave a quick introduction a number of weeks ago, and now as we move through 1 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with division. Division is a big deal, folks. I mean, Paul takes 25% of his letter, the first four chapters, to talk about division. It is, not, it is not just a simple issue to pass on by. And he mentions this over and again. Um, it's the first, I think that's significant, the first issue that he deals with. He didn't start with the easiest or the smallest or the simplest. 
He started, I think, with probably the most serious problem in the church at Corinth. Because if they don't, as a church, find unity together, chances are they're not going to be able to get the other problems that they have within the church dealt with. We talked a little bit about that last week and how even when Paul gets to chapter 11 and talks about communion, how that Paul has to deal with a problem of division there and how that they're gathering together to celebrate the Lord's Supper did more harm than good. That, that, I still am like, wow, to get beyond that statement that Paul makes about God's church at Corinth gathering together a community and having those kinds of problems. Um, division is serious. And folks, I believe that we ought to guard our unity every bit as much as we do our theology. It is critical. I didn't say we don't guard our theology. I said we guard our unity every bit as much as we guard our theology. Both are very important because unity is part of the theology of the local church. I think a key as we begin and as we move through this issue is found in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I hope for those of you that are down in the family room or at home that you're following along and turning in your Bibles to find these passages that you're ready to, to underline and circle and mark up and take notes so that you can refer to this information at a later time as well. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So here's the crux of the matter. Paul is contrasting the future of unbelievers. What's that future? They're going to perish. They will know the wrath of God. They will feel and experience the wrath of God in hell forever. Those who are perishing view the message of the cross as foolishness. And our future, to those of us who are being saved, the power of God. That's the message of the cross, the power of God. And he's contrasting those two approaches, the future of the unbelievers, those who are perishing, the future of the believers, those who are being saved, to remind the Corinthians that salvation doesn't depend upon human wisdom. That's what he's been contrasting. And as he goes through the verses in 19 to the end of the chapter, of chapter 1, he's talking about how all of the human wisdom, all of the eloquence of the speakers of the day, all of that means nothing. Because it will do nothing for us or anyone. It is the message of the cross that is the power of God. And the Corinthians were relying on human loyalties. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter. Oh, and we're of Christ. 
And, and, and that's what Paul was saying. No, no, no. All of that doesn't matter. What matters is the message of the cross. And when the people within the church at Corinth were arrogantly arguing and quarreling for their position, creating division, they were thinking and acting just like those who don't know Jesus. Thinking and acting just like those who were perishing. When Paul says, for us who are being saved, we cannot respond in division and quarreling because that isn't what ought to be true of those who know Jesus, of those who have received the message of the cross. And I believe that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we looked at this verse almost, almost every week since we've started. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. I believe this is exactly why Paul says that at the end of his second letter to them. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you failed the test. It is critical that we understand. Paul says to those of us who are being saved, salvation is past. There was a moment in time when you trusted Christ and were saved. But today in the present, we are saved. That is our, now our position for God. But we are continuing to become more like Jesus. The process of sanctification. We are growing holy. That's what Paul challenged them with in the beginning of chapter 1. He said, you've been declared to be holy. Your position as a child of God. But you need to continue to become holy. You need to grow. You need to be sanctified. That's what we call progressive sanctification. And I believe that's what Paul is talking about when he said, for those of us who are being saved. And then, of course, one day we will ultimately be perfected. Our salvation will be lasting forever we will be saved on that day when we enter heaven when Jesus comes back for us or if you get there before that the future tense you will be saved and salvation is that ongoing process that moment you trust Christ but we continue to become more like Jesus on a regular basis every day and Paul says, you better examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Why? Because they weren't acting like it. Paul was concerned about the lack of evidence. Remember, we said this, kind of a, a theme for our study in 1 Corinthians. God's holy people must become what they already are. God's holy people must become what they already are. We are declared holy, set apart unto God the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. But we must continue to become holy as we move on to our eternity with God. That's what we're dealing with here. And it's very important that we get there. The church in Corinth was made up, we could say, three groups of people. We've talked about two groups, 
The first two groups would be the Jews and the Greeks, or the Jews and the Gentiles. But because of where Paul is, he's talking about the Greeks more often. And so the Jews were those who, who wanted to pursue. They were always looking for something powerful, the, the miraculous. They wanted freedom from Rome. That's what the Jews wanted in their Messiah. They wanted the Messiah to come and deliver them from the, 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 the rule of Rome in their lives. Always looking for a powerful Messiah. The Greeks, they, they looked for wisdom. They're concerned. We, we want it to make sense. We want it to be full of, of logic and, and rhetoric and a philosophy that makes sense. And they wanted a well-articulated worldview that, that uh, attempted to make sense of life and death and of the universe. Those were the Greeks. And then, of course, the third group were those who were the followers of Jesus. And they, that's you and I, us who are being saved, focused on the cross. Not about the power, not about the wisdom and logic. It's about the cross, the message of the cross. Keep in mind, folks, this is in the context of solving the problem of division. We talk about the cross, it should be a regular part of our lives, the gospel. But that's the answer that Paul is sharing with the believers in Corinth who were divided. And he was saying, listen, I didn't come to baptize, I came to preach the gospel. And it's the message of the cross that is the power of God unto salvation. And that's what he was emphasizing. That's where all the agreement needs to be. He says the end of verse uh, 1 of chapter 2. That I came to proclaim the testimony of God. Now as we d dive into our text this morning. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And the first five verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And the first five verses. And as we look at that this morning, last week we talked about the message of the cross. Today we're going to talk about the messenger of the cross. That's you and I. That's you and I who know Jesus Christ. You say, well, we're talking about Paul. Well, yes, Paul was an apostle. He was, he was at that point leading the church. He, he had the God-given authority as an apostle but folks, I'm telling you what, you may say, well, well, Glenn, you and Paul are pastors here and, and we have other full-time staff and it's your job to get out the message of the cross. No, folks, as you study scripture, it's all of us who know Jesus Christ who are being saved. It is our responsibility to proclaim the message of the cross. We are messengers of the cross. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Trust that you have that there. And here's, uh, if you're going to be a messenger of the cross, the gospel, you're going to proclaim the gospel. There are three things that you've got to do. Three things that you've got to do. Now, any homiletics class um, at any level, you would learn that you never use the word things in your outline because it's just very vague and nondescript. 
Well, I hope you'll see what I'm doing here when we talk about that. Three things, because the first thing that you must do is to focus on the main thing. The main thing. The first two verses of, of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says in verse 1, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. Don't you just love Paul continues to call them in, as he's rebuking them. Brothers and sisters. He's not saying, you people. Right? Brothers and sisters. Um, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence of human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. That's what he came to do. Now, this doesn't mean, we sometimes read through here and hear Paul talking about that, that it's not with eloquence or human wisdom. We sometimes think that Paul was a lousy speaker. I, I could point to a passage in the book of Acts when Paul was preaching long into the evening and a guy fell out of the window. Doesn't sound like a great communicator to me. Either that or he just didn't know when to quit, right? I, I'm not sure which, which it was, but... But as we study, you know, we always have to blame the preacher, and, and, and we'll take that. But on the other hand, a lot of the response to the truth of the Word of God comes from the individual hearer. We must respond to the truth, no matter how it's communicated. But as we look at it here, he says, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom. That does not mean that Paul wasn't a good speaker. That wasn't what Paul was trying to communicate. He was simply saying, but his purpose, it wasn't about being a superior speaker. It wasn't about the human wisdom. It was his purpose wasn't to impress anyone or gain a following with his speaking ability. That's what he's talking about. If you'll read back through, I read when we started this morning some verses out of Acts chapter 17. If you'll just make a note somewhere and write that down and look back, Acts chapter 17, starting at about verse 16, when Paul begins his ministry in Athens. And what he goes through as he goes from verse 16 down to the end of the chapter is beautiful. I mean, it's amazing. It's a, it's a tremendously wise and I would say eloquent approach to the philosophers and uh, the Epicureans and the Stoics and the Sophists that were there in, in Athens. And Paul does an amazing job of talking to them at their level, but not leaving out the gospel, not just philosophizing with them, but giving them the message of the cross. And he talked about the resurrection. So it's not that Paul is a lousy speaker or communicator. He's just not depending upon all of that speaking ability to gain a following. And as we'll see, he's depending upon the power of God. Paul didn't come as a sophist, as a philosopher, as a rhetorician, somebody highly trained with great oratory, rhetorical skills. These sophists, these Greeks, and these philosophers that were in Athens and Corinth were paid teachers. They would come to town to gain a following. 
and to have people listen to them. And they would gather in the arenas. There was about an 18 to 20,000 seat auditorium right there in Corinth. Another 3,000 seat theater. And we might think that that would only fill up today with the concerts or to hear some uh, great uh, athlete do something or to watch uh, an athletic contest. But in those days, people would gather together to hear the latest philosophy and listen to these great orators who had wonderful rhetorical ability. And Paul says, that's not what I'm about. And they did it to gain a following. They did it to make a living. They were great speakers, but it was all about follow me. That's what was going on. That's why the the believers in the church were struggling. I'm of Paul. I'm following him. And I follow Apollos. And I follow Peter. And I why? Because that's what they did. But that's what Paul wants. He said, I, I'm, I'm not about speaking to gain a following. In fact, he already talked about that in chapter 1 when he said, boy, I'm sure glad I didn't baptize any more than I did because I don't want anybody saying that Paul baptized him because that makes him more loyal to me than to God. He goes on, verse 2, he says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You want a life verse? For some of you that are younger, if you haven't chosen a life verse, this would be a great one. Some of you that are older, you may have a life verse that you've forgotten or maybe you need a little renewal or something else to go alongside. Verse 2, I resolved to know nothing. Paul says, while I was with you there in Corinth, but for us to say as well, wherever we are, except... Jesus Christ and him crucified. That will be the focus of my life is what Paul is saying. I'm I'm not going to spend time talking about who was your favorite teacher or leader. He says it doesn't matter who baptized who. It's not about human wisdom. It's not about eloquence. Those things only draw attention to the messenger. We need to be focused on on Jesus Christ who is, who is behind the message of the cross. That's what Paul is saying. Paul had one focus. He had one purpose. He had one message. He always had had that. That was true wherever he went. You can read back through the book of Acts to see when he started the church in Thessalonica and see his focus was on the message of the gospel. When he started the church in Rome, when he started the church in churches in, in the area of Galatia, Look at Galatians chapter 3. Write it down. I'm not going to turn there. Verses 1 and 2. The the Galatians were falling away from the truth of the gospel. Paul says it's not because you didn't hear me preach the crucified Jesus. But he said the one message everywhere I go. He did it in Athens. Even amidst a whole bunch of philosophers and sophists. He focused on the message of the cross. Jesus died. He was crucified. In my place, on the cross, for my sins. That's the forgiveness, the power of God. That's our salvation. That's the message of the cross. 
And he says, that's my focus. I don't care about the rest of it. I'm focused on the cross. That's the main thing. Know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We need to be focused on the main thing. Secondly, we need to overcome the me thing. Overcome the me thing. Look at verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 2. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Now some try to explain this away, but it was without question. The words used there talking about infirmity, about frailty, about imperfection about weakness, physical and emotional weakness. No strength. That's what Paul is saying. When I came to you, when I began my ministry, and we looked at that back in Acts chapter 18 when he started the church. He said, when I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Fear is an emotion that comes about as a result of an anticipated pain or danger. Of a bad situation. Fear comes when we're anticipating something bad, painful, dangerous is going is to come into our lives. And it's accompanied usually by a desire to do one of two things. Either to fight or to flee. Either to fight or to run. That's what fear has us to do. Sometimes paralyzes us. Some would feel that Paul's weakness and fear and trembling here had to do with a sense of complete personal inadequacy in what God had called him to do. And that's okay. That's humility. We ought to feel that way. There are times that I stand up in front of you and open the word and I'm like, I have no idea if I've got this. I've done my best, to, but to communicate it, ah. Oh. It's like, how do I do this? I don't, God does. You see, it's the message of the cross. Paul even said of himself as it relates to this weakness. In, and, and I got a couple of verses that you can write down and look at them later. I'm, I'm just going to mention this one here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10. And then you can also take a look at chapter 12 and verses 7 to 10. But here in chapter 10 and, and verse 10 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is defending his ministry of, and his apostleship. And he says, he's talking about himself. He says, for some say... Talking about Paul, quote, his letters are weighty and forceful. His letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Whoa. Thanks, people. That'd be a great email to get on Monday morning. But see, Paul had overcome the me thing. Remember what God told him, and you can take a look at 2 Corinthians 12. Look at the context of these verses. Don't just look at the verses. Look around, read through so you get what's happening here. But chapter 12 and verses 7 is when Paul talked about his thorn in the flesh, some kind of physical ailment that he had. And he asked God three times to take it away. And God, what did he say? My grace is sufficient for you. Because in your weakness, you'll know my strength. 
you will know the power of God in your weakness because it's God's power, not you. Check that out. But remember this, in Acts chapter 18, I just referred to it, but here's why I believe when Paul says, I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling, there was absolutely fear. There was absolutely concern for his health and safety. Here's what God told Paul when he began the church in, in, in uh, Corinth. One night, verse, verse 9 and 10 of, of Acts 18, one night the Lord spoke to Paul. He's in Corinth. He's begun his ministry. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Paul may have been well ready to stop, to give up, to quit. Do not be silent. Why? For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Now what would that be? He said, well, that's just emotional abuse. Well, it sure could be. But it could also be physical abuse. In fact, we know that he'd already been run out of town a couple times. They chased him out of Thessalonica. And, and, and here we are. No one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. And Paul stayed for at least 18 months there as he began the church. Now, folks, we sometimes think we, we read these heroes of the faith in the Bible we read all about them, we think they have no fear. Or we think that when they face the fear that it's automatic that, that they just, God does something and puts up this, whatever it is, bubble of spirituality around them and they're fine. Listen, Paul faced the same fears that you and I do. He faced the same weaknesses, experienced the same physical ailments, he did not allow them to keep him from obedience to God's will. You see, we, these guys that are in the Bible are just like you and I. They put their shoes on one at a time just like us. Right? We need to understand that Paul knew it wasn't about him, that he had to face that weakness and trembling by trusting God. He overcame the me thing. Look what he says in verse 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration, a show of the Spirit's power. You see, when the message of the cross is delivered by a messenger of the cross, it will not lack the power of the Spirit of God. Will not lack the power of the Spirit of God. You see, our sharing of the gospel can never be about me. We've got to overcome the me thing and look to God and His power. Sometimes, sometimes we just do our thing and think we're good. Folks, that's where we might get some results, but they won't last. You can study through the Word of God. You can just, a couple of, let me give you one example. In Acts chapter 2, verses 36 and 37. Acts chapter 2, write it down if you want to look at it. I want to read it to you. But Acts chapter 2, verses 36 and 37, this is the day the church began. The day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. And Peter was preaching. 
and he preached the message. He preached the gospel. And if you want to study a well-done rhetorical, oratorical masterpiece, Paul, Peter's, Peter's message there in, in, in Jerusalem on the day the church began, it's phenomenal. It's of God. It's not of himself. And he, they, he preaches, and, and at the end of his message, the crowd in verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Cut to the heart. What's that? That's the conviction. That's the power of the Holy Spirit moving in the hearts of those who were listening. And they were cut to the heart. Their hearts were pricked with conviction. Oh, Peter, what brothers, what do we do? Peter says, repent and believe. Be baptized. And when you'll go through the the, the book of Acts and study through, uh, you could go to Acts chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and you could see there and, uh, how God led Peter to Cornelius, who we call the first Gentile, the first non-Jew to come to Christ in the church there. And, and is always, the response to the gospel is always preceded by conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. When you came to Christ, when you believed, there was conviction in your heart. The Spirit of God was at work. Why? Because you overcame the me thing. And somebody shared with you the message of the cross. And it was the message of the cross that was the power of God to your salvation. But it began with the conviction of sin that God's Word tells us of the Holy Spirit of God. We're going to share the gospel. We've got to overcome the me thing. But then thirdly, we must passionately pursue the real thing. We must focus on the main thing. That's the message of the cross. We've got to overcome the me thing. It's not about us. It's dependence upon the Holy Spirit of God. And we've got to passionately pursue the real thing. What's that? Look at verse 5. 1 Corinthians 2, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. That's the real thing. God's power. See, when we do it ourselves, when it's human wisdom and eloquence, that's all we're going to get. We're going to get what we can give. We're going to get what we can do. But when we're focused on the message of the cross, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen Savior, we're going to see God's power. Passionately pursue the real thing. Which is why both the message and the messenger of the cross are critical. Because if we don't get the message of the cross right, if we as the messengers are leaning on ourselves and our abilities and our knowledge and, and our speaking skill and, and our wisdom and our 
relationship skills. Uh, everybody loves you and, and people always want to be around you. And when we get beyond the me thing and get to the gospel and the power of the Spirit of God, we see fruit. We see true results, lasting results. Because if we're resting on all of that human stuff, the wisdom and the abilities that we think we have, listen, it won't make it. There is no power. There's no salvation. And I believe Paul is concerned about the believers in the church at Corinth who are depending on human wisdom and what Paul, Peter, Apollos rather than on the message of the cross. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verses 14 to 16, when I say passionately pursue, here's where that comes. You, you can't read about Paul and not see his passion. Paul had passion, and as he shares it, and, and, his, and, I, and I have these scriptures, you can check these other ones, write them down, look at them, but Paul said this in Romans chapter 1, verse 14, I am obligated both to the Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel. Why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Why? Because he says, and we looked at this verse last week, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel the message of the cross, because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who will believe. That's the power of God. It's not our skill. It's not my outline. It's not my cute illustration or funny story. It's the message of the cross that is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And that's the real thing. Check out these other references. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul talks about the jars of clay that we are. That in, that's why so, that, why, so the power of God will show through. And then when we get to, we'll, we'll get to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and see that God is the one who brings the increase. God brings the fruit. So let me ask you this, so what? You've just, just heard me talk about these three things that we as believers need to do. We've got to focus on the main thing. If you're going to be a messenger of the cross, that's got to be it, the cross. We've got to overcome the me thing. It can't be about you and me or that's, our results are going to be limited and they won't last. And you've got to passionately pursue the real thing which is what the power of God, genuine salvation. Our agreement, our unity must be built on the message of the cross. Remember, all of this is in the context of solving the problem of unity in the church. The message of the cross. That's what Paul is talking about. Our unity must be built on the message of the cross. It must be delivered by the messenger of the cross. A messenger, if you know those of us who are being saved. It's about Christ crucified. 
It is the cross that will lead us to oneness with Christ and with one another. It is Jesus who is our salvation. Divisions come from a partisan spirit. You know the word partisan. I mean, with all that's going on in our country, right, politically, you know what the word partisan means. And you know what? Paul talks about that's what's going on. There's a partisan spirit in the church at Corinth, not over elected officials, over the teachers and leaders of the church. When we act, you know what a partisan spirit is? I want what I want because I want it. That's a partisan spirit. I want what I want. That's all that matters. And when we act like that in the church, we're acting like unbelievers. We're thinking like those who don't know Jesus. We're thinking like those who are perishing. Do you see how Paul ties all this together? That's why he talked about those who are perishing and those of us who are being saved because those of us who are being saved have been declared holy and called to live holy lives. And if we are carrying on in a partisan spirit I want what I want and if I don't get what I want I'll find another church because when there's division in the church those without Christ won't won't get the gospel and division only creates distractions that keep us away from the mission of the church to make disciples of all nations. You see, it's not about what we want, what we like, what we are used to, what we have always done, what we think is best, what we want. It must be about what will most help us accomplish our mission, the mission that God has given us. Not our mission, God's mission. And what we do must be focused on helping us accomplish our mission. It is not a one-day-per-week commitment. It is a daily commitment. We are not our own. And we'll get to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. God wants our life. All of it. Because he's already bought and paid for it. You see, the came across this quote from one, one writer that I studied this week, the disunity of the church of Jesus Christ remains one of the greatest scandals which compromises its witness today. Wow. Say, oh, I'm not sure about that. Well, do you remember when we looked at Jesus, the Lord's Prayer? Jesus, the night before he was crucified, praying to his Father in John chapter 17. And Jesus talked about the importance. God, would you make them one even as we are one? Because the outcome of not being one for God's people was that people wouldn't believe 
that God has sent Jesus Christ? That's exactly what we're saying here. Compromises our witness today, division in God's church. The problem of disunity is that we, part of the problem is that we often don't see it, right? Somebody can be divisive and, well, I'm, I, that's not me, I'm not doing that. Well, that's the problem. And that's why Paul says, the message of the cross is the power of God to salvation. Remember this, God's holy people must become what they already are. God's holy people must become what they already are. We are one and must act like it 24-7. That's the message of the gospel. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love for us that you sent your only son to die in our place to pay the debt for our sin so that we could be forgiven and set free, bought and paid for. Thank you, God, for Jesus' work on the cross. Thank you that he was raised from the dead to prove that he is our Savior, our Messiah, oh God. Help that to be the main thing of our lives. That we'd not get caught up in all the other side, personal, selfish, petty desires that divide the church. God, we recognize that division has been around a long time. It was here in Corinth, and it could be here as well. God, help us. to make the message of the cross the heart of all that we do for the glory of God. For it's in his name I pray. Amen. Next week, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 16, the rest of chapter 2. Read it through, look at it, study it, and have a great week.